Welcome to the We Like It On Top podcast. I am Bill Goodgen. I am your host. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my guest today is Kimber Cross. Uh, Kimber is an adaptive climber who uses a custom prosthetic ice tool to climb waterfall ice all around the country, as well as alpine uh, alpine ice routes here in her home state of Washington. Um, she was actually the first disabled climber to use a prosthetic ice tool on the couch route on Mount Rainier, uh, Mount Tahoma. Um, she's also a climb leader for the Mountaineers, um, a volunteer-based organization in Washington State that offers basic and intermediate courses and climbing trips. She instructs, she leads she field trips for the Mountaineers, as well as she leads private climbs year-round on glaciers, rock, and ice. And when she isn't in the backcountry climbing or skiing, She's a national board certified educator teaching kindergarten. Um, she was born with one hand. Uh, she has adapted and modified to excel in sports as a kid and now climbing as an adult. Her passion is to teach children about the outdoors with her story of resilience and inclusion. Kimber, welcome and thank you for being here. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing pretty well on this dreary and rainy PNW <laughs> <PNW> day. <laughs> yeah, it's it pretty quickly turned from uh, summer, beautiful fall to feeling an awful lot like full-on winter, didn't it? Yes, it usually usually will do that out here. <laughs> A nice so slap in the face of welcome, winter is here. Yeah, shoulder season along with dark, rainy days, that makes it tough to stay yeah. motivated, doesn't it? We'll, yeah. we'll probably talk a little bit about that, how you stay motivated uh, and prepared for climbing through maybe exercise and nutrition, because that's something everyone's always interested in. Yeah. So, uh, Kimber, did I get this right? Did I hear that you grew up on a farm? Is that I did. Yes. A, a I, where at? And you were, you were a rough and tumble tomboy too, right? You like to kind yeah. of roll around and. Yeah. I was, you know, the, the odd child that was like, Hey dad, you know, you just caught that deer. Like, can I touch the brain? <laughs> um, or, you know, Oh, you know, my family, like they were big on, you know, raising their own cows and harvesting, you know, their own meat. Um, and I was like, can I have the tail? Can I, and as I grew older, I realized like, no, oh, those are odd requests. <laughs> um, but I just wasn't really afraid of outside or animals are getting dirty or the exploration, you know, part of, of childhood and, you know, growing up on, you know, a little farm, you know, orchard garden, you know, cows, uh, my, my dad was, you know, really into, you know, just living off the the land, you know, not homesteading, but, you know, just being able to like, I picked berries to throw in the cereal in the morning. And I, you know, I picked a, all the salad stuff for my mom to, you know, make a side salad for dinner and, and things like that. So I, you know, stayed pretty connected kind of to the earth and, you know, my chores as a kid were weeding, you know, and feeding the cows. And, and where was that at? Where was the, the farm at? Uh, out in Graham, Washington. Oh, in Graham. Okay. In so Graham, not yeah. too far from where you live now in Tacoma, Washington, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Does your family still live out there? They still live on the farm? My parents. Yep. My parents are still out there living that retired life. Um, and a couple, majority of my family have kind of moved out to Idaho and, you know, living a little less of that, that city life as West, Western Washington is you know, increased in, you know, it's traffic and population that they're moving a little bit East. So you did still, I follow you on Instagram. You mm -hmm. did still keep one habit. You love to fish, right? That's something you yes. still do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, you know, use a fishing pole and I don't really have to do anything to you know modify and adapt for that. And uh, I also love hunting and and use a crossbow for that with, you know, a disabled permit. Oh, um, so yeah, that's, that's a yeah pretty, you know, special to my heart sport. You know, I don't feature that a lot on the, 
the gram. Yeah. So what, yeah. explain the disabled permit. Does that allow you just to modify the weapon that you're using or is there something else to a disabled permit for hunting? Yeah, in my state with my specific disability, you know, being able to kind of draw back um, a bow, you know, a compound bow um, isn't um, as possible. And so this state allows you to use a crossbow um, and your special use permit. Okay. And so it's pretty nice to give, you know, access to, you know, hunters of all kinds. And um, yeah, I love, I love it. And it's been a fun thing that's, you know, in addition to, you know, my life climbing in the mountains. So you use the term adapting and modifying. I mm-hmm. hear you use that term a lot in conversations and just kind of prepping for our discussion. And when you were growing up, you never wanted to have a prosthesis or any adaptive equipment as age. Um, you, you were pretty adamant about that until yeah. later when you got into climbing, right? Um from, Absolutely. From what I could gather, you you worked very hard at adapting and modifying. You were very active in sports, um, and you never really felt like you couldn't do something. You just found a way to work around it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well said. I think, you know, growing up in the 90s, I was a 90s kid, you know, born in 86, and the thought of, of you know, prosthetics or a disability or, you know, something that you need that really sets you apart visually, you know, that was still a day and age where, you know, it wasn't as comfortable, you know, maybe for a person with a disability, you know, specifically speaking from my own experience. And I remember my, you know, mom taking me to this specific doctor's office and there was you know, like 10 of us in there, kids of all ages, I was six at the time. And the doctors were kind of like showing off the latest and greatest technology in the nineties for prosthetics or, you know, little things that, you know, they could strap on my hand. I, you know, I play the piano um, and with these, you know, melded plastic, you know, different moldings to put on or, you know, just kind of a cap where it's, um, just for aesthetics, like, Hey, I want to walk down the street and not look like I have one hand, you know, those were options, but nothing really made me feel comfortable. I actually couldn't really play the piano well with it on. And, you know, that's probably due to, you know, being born that way you in your developmental years, you just figure out how to do it and your, you know, brain adapts and it becomes normal. And so suddenly taking something, as a kid and having to figure out how, you know, how that will work to play the piano. I just was like, no, I I don't want that. And also it makes me feel so much more different than I already feel. And, you know, my parents, they didn't want to push that. They're like, okay, like you don't want it. It was always your choice, right? Yeah. Always my choice. Yeah. My mom was super supportive. Yeah. My, my dad was like, Hey, you're going to go play those sports and be just as great, if not better than anyone else. And my mom was a little more like, can you do that? Like, are you going to be okay? And so I had, you know, two sides of, of the coin, you know, of parental support, but I do think, you know, that environment of, you know, a father figure really saying like, you're going to figure out how to do it. We're going to practice. You dribble a ball, you do this and that. And representation wise in the nineties, you know, they, they really didn't have anyone to point me to, to say, hey, you know, look up to them, like, you know, like parents do. Um, but along came, you know, Jim Abbott. I don't know if, you know, listeners will know um, a, a few probably, you know, that the 90s were their youth. And Jim Abbott was a pitcher for the California Angels. And he also was born, you know, with one hand with, you know, kind of a stump at the end of one of his arms. And, you know, he would have a mitt under his armpit, you know, pitch, and then his hand that threw the ball would quickly fit into the glove and he'd be prepped to catch should the ball come back at him. And consequentially, you know, with my parents saying like, look at Jim Abbott, you know, MLB, like (laughs) he was got, be like him. Be like him. (laughs) Be like him, be like this, you know, six foot something, you know, older white guy. There you go. (laughs) Right. Perfect. (laughs) Right. So, you know, consequentially I pitched for nine years. Um, with a coach that would come up from Texas every two weeks and 
it well there you have it be like there you have it (laughs) representation matters i was like well i have a space in baseball yeah Um, great i will go that route and i loved it and that was the first time that i really had to modify to be successful you know i was successful with piano without the modification i was at that young age, successful walking around, not really caring what my hand looked like. Um, but with, you know, fast pitches, like, I mean, I can't keep the glove on my hand. It's, you know, kind of just a stump with a little bit of growth for what would have been my pinky or my thumb as it, you know, stretches out. And that glove, you know, I had, my dad had friends that, you know, had um, a really big industrial strength sewing machine. And so they sewed extra padding in there and a strap that I could pull tighter around my wrist. And that was really a moment where I was like, oh, cool. I, I can pitch. I can keep my glove on my hand. Cause in fast pitch, you know, you swing your hand kind of around and down through your hip. And so it's a different mechanic obviously than with baseball. And so it would take a little bit longer and put me in a more compromised position. Should a, a fast pitch ball, you know, be hit right back at me, you know, yep. to have, have to do the switch. So that was a faster, safer method. And and, you know, that, that tipped me off to, okay, I maybe sometimes, you know, maybe I have to modify to be successful, but no big deal. Like, I still kind of look like everyone else. I'm fine. Yeah, I think I was, no. I, I, one thing that surprised me was to hear you say that you were never really teased uh, as a young kid. Kids are so mean, intentionally right. or not, but you, right. you were kind of open about, well, that just didn't happen to you. You weren't teased, but you clearly were conscientious. Um, right. And I'd heard you talk about how you even looked for clothes specifically that would have pockets so that you could hide your boat, not one hand, but both hands, you would hide both hands. And I think yeah. even you told a story about having a boyfriend for a few days that he didn't even know. And then you had to I have know. The, I don't know whether you had to have that... the big reveal to, <laughs> to uh-huh, let him know. Yeah. And he was a little yeah. bit shocked. So you became a master of disguise. Um, I don't know how to ask this, but were you embarrassed? Were you ashamed or just conscientious? Because yeah, um, mm-hmm. were even though you didn't get teased, were you just afraid that that was going to happen? And that obviously that that would be very painful. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, what's normalized at that point, you know, in the 90s, all through grade school, you know, you didn't see models, you know, with missing limbs, you didn't see, um, you know, the vast representation that we've had really in the fat, you know, past five years, I felt like everything's fast forwarded, you know, so far into, you know, not being afraid of, you know, featuring, a disabled model in a, in a campaign or, or mm-hmm. signing disabled athletes, you know, and really realizing like, oh, wow, we all are equal. And we all look different to many different degrees. Um, this is actually, you know, so healthy and took sometimes I think so long, but in the nineties, you know, it just, we weren't there yet. And so a lot of it was an inner turmoil of, I don't see anyone like me. I didn't know anyone like me, you know, that six years old going to that one, you know, medical meeting where I was like, wow, all these kids, like, you know, where are their hands? Where are their legs? Like that's to me, it just didn't compute yet. Cause I was like, well then how did that happen to them? Like I, I almost, you know, had a disconnect there with like my disability was just like their disability. And, you know, I wasn't quite aware that representation, you know, could have that powerful of an impact on my mindset. And so for me, it was just like, I, I don't have two hands. Like, you know, why would that boy, you know, want to date me with one hand when he can go, you know, date a girl with two hands, it just this inner turmoil. And as far as, you know, teasing, and I'm very thankful that nothing was said to my face. And, um, you know, I don't know whether it speaks to my ability to hide so well, or, you know, that high school boy's ability to, you know, look outside himself and, you know, realize, oh, my girlfriend, you know, like, uh, you know, who knows, but I just remember, you know, all through my teens, most of my twenties, like it was a long time of really 
not liking how I looked and hiding it and being like, I have to perfect all these other things in my life. I have to be perfect at sports, perfect with my grades. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Did you drive? Yeah. It, dro- I, uh, it drove me it drove to, you to believe harder. it was a deficit. Yeah. Yeah. It was something that wasn't truly accepted, even if people didn't tease me. It's something that I would have to hide. It was my own, you know, inner turmoil battle all through school. And, and, you know, no one would know I was very good at masking. You know, I, of course I walked around, you know, with a binder hiding it in my pockets, hiding it, but I played basketball. I played fast fish. Like people saw it. I, you know, was good in my mind going like, Oh, I'm cruising through the hallways and no one sees, but then I'd be like shooting three pointers and dribbling (laughs) the ball down the court, you know, with my right hand, my, you know, stump hand, you know, and, it, it was just so interesting how a child processes that a young adult processes to cope with. I am different and society does not fully embrace that yet. And, you know, you fast forward, I'm 37 now and it feels amazing to walk down a street, a sidewalk and, and not, not high, not have that take up so much of my mental space. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I think the irony to me is that you said Instagram was kind of a place where you started to feel more comfortable because you found representation. You saw other people that were like you through social media and which is crazy because a lot of people would say exactly the opposite. They, um, a lot of times social media makes them anxious because they can't live up to you right. know, the images and the people that they're seeing and the lives that they believe so many people live. And for you, in many ways, it was exactly the opposite. And I think that that would be true for a lot of people that are looking for others like them. How, right. how did that like, translate to you slowly starting to feel more comfortable and just allowing your pictures of yourself because that was something you didn't like prior to that right oh yeah I don't have any pictures of myself where I see my hand beyond like sixth grade and it was interesting because you know back in I believe you know 20 21, you know, a short film came out, you know, called Can't Will Did, you know, and listeners could, you know, search that on, on YouTube and this company, Peak Refuel. It's great. For- I actually, I watched it a couple of nights yeah. ago with my two daughters and oh, I loved love it. They're, they're so excited to uh, watch this uh, podcast and hear more from you. That's so cool. Yeah. Ironically, yeah, you know, I showed it for the first time to my kindergartners today, actually, you know, it's, a unit in our, you know, ELA curriculum where it's, you know, how, what tools do you need to, you know, explore with? And that is kind of my hook of the lesson for the week is, okay, I'm going to show you this video and you're going to see Miss Cross using tools to explore and tools that she needs to do this sport. And they watch it and they're like, just like, what? ice climbing like those and they're getting the concept of tools but then also as normalized as oh tools for ice climbing here we go you know they see a prosthetic and they learn prosthetic and they're like oh well that's a tool too just like a person needs crampon as a tool or they can't climb ice without the crampon like you can't climb ice without the prosthetic and and so at five years old they're seeing that and it's normalized they're not like that's a weird thing you know they're more like oh my gosh shoes with spikes i can't believe it you know and, what, and the prosthetic an, is like, an amazing and cool thing yeah i mean these are kindergartners so yeah. you're in many cases the first disabled person that they come into contact with yeah and they meet such a powerful and inspirational person it, cha- it it will change the way they look at anybody in the future who who and, they meet that's disabled and that's that's really and you amazing. deliver a really strong message i mean you're you've been preparing for this and refining this message that you give them for quite <laughs> right. a while right oh yeah you know i'm going into you know i believe my 15th year of teaching um and 12th i believe in kindergarten you know, somehow I just, I keep coming back to the littles and the blank <laughs> slates and, and seeing that, oh my goodness, like 
add up these generations, you know, these 20 kids I get every year, if they, you know, number one, come in with, you know, those normal unconscious biases, you know, I've, I've seen a kid at six months, see my hand and kind of like pull back in like confusion or like, it's just built into us. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily like taught to, you know, not like me and, or think I, you know, I look creepier. It's, it's this like knee jerk reaction. And so with young kids, I've learned to, you know, just to whatever they say on that first day of school, (laughs) it's fine. You know, like I have a very thick skin. It's very hard to offend Miss Cross because she has heard it all. Yeah. Kimber and I were talking beforehand and I said, I asked, I asked you, is there anything that you don't want me to ask you? And she said, remember, I'm a kindergarten teacher. (laughs) I have thick skin. I can handle anything. Right. And so, and I almost appreciate that their first encounter in school, you know, these specific kids in my class, it can be an adult with a disability who, who knows how to react, who, you know, isn't getting hurt because I hope they get through that initial, like, Oh my gosh, realize I'm cool. I'm normal. And like, and it becomes normalized to them where it's not a big deal. They don't even think about it. You know, my own brother, he would oftentimes forget in the, you know, decades of living together. He's like, you, you can't open that, do it yourself. And he's like, Oh, Oh yeah. Sorry. I forgot you had one. And it's, you know, like, that's the beauty of it. Like when you just become so normalized with something, you just, you don't have that negative knee jerk reaction because you understand that you have background knowledge and they can go on into other grades, other schools, and they'll come across a kid, you know, with a need, some kind, you know, physical or, or deeper. And I want them to have understanding and have a new level of empathy because they've had me. And we do this talk in the beginning of every year. And, you know, I describe how it kind of looks, you know, like a a kitty face, if you will, the shape of it. And, and, you know, relating it to something that's cute and cuddly for a five-year-old is kind of, you know, management, teacher, you know, teacher management 101. It's, you know, I kind of know how to quickly get them away from the like, oh, that's weird. So like, oh, I love cats. So I love your hand. Like it's it's so funny that how how that that switch works, but I will milk it. And yeah, you know, they get to to see that and we have the conversations like elephant in the room. I have one hand and you know, it didn't finish growing in my mommy's tummy and you know, uh, medically it's, you know, terminal transfers defect and there's all sorts of reasons for physical, you know, um, abnormalities in the womb, but you know, that specifically was mine and we still don't really know what it's tied to, but you know, it became something that as an educator, this is where I could potentially have an influence outside of just the reading and math and write, like it goes deeper and, and it's pulled my heart deeper into the world of education and wanting to invest even when it's hard, because I'm like, man, there's a piece of my journey, my story that is influencing these babies. And if they're a whole new generation that grows up and maybe are learning to hold their tongue and, and not say hurtful things because they have background knowledge, they have experience. Like it's not weird and odd to them. Like, like what a gift, like that, that feels like an honor to, you know, be a part of that story of, you know, normalizing disabilities or showing that you can do anything with modification and adapting. And, you know, and that has swung into the realm of, of mountaineering and climbing. And, you know, that pendulum swings back into the classroom when I bring in the stories of climbing and, you know, I show them videos of, of climbers that look like them. And I'm in a very, very diverse classroom. And, you know, the area that I teach at, you know, it just has the beauty of, of the world. You know, I have like five different languages in my classroom and so many beautiful cultures. And so when the kids, you know, I started this last year because of Instagram and because, you know, the world feels connected in the mountaineer world, in my world and friends that I know that, you know, I have skied with or climbed with. um, I'm like, Hey, would, do you want to come on a zoom call with a bunch of five-year-olds Oh, how fun! or <laughs> we're going to watch a video of you, you know, surfing or skiing or ice climbing or mountaineering, rock climbing and get to know you and your story. And the kids are coming up with questions 
and they're fives. So it could be, what's your favorite color to like, you know, why are you wearing that? Or why are you holding that? Like, <laughs> how do you do that? And, um, and then that person comes on to zoom and they introduce themselves and the kids get to see a person in the outdoors that maybe looks like them. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the minority in my classroom and, you know, it's great to be like, I represent, you know, disability and women in the mountains, but at the same time, like that only goes so far, you know, like I have young yeah. Latina girls, young black boys and girls, like they need to see themselves in these areas. And so to pull in yeah, my friends yeah. and be like, Hey friend, do you uh, want to do a TikTok in front of five-year-olds? Um, <laughs> but relating to the mountains, cause they get, they get that their teacher does this. She loves it. But guess what? Like way more people than just your teacher. Like, yeah. And if she has friends like this, then yeah, then, yeah. oh, and, and so it gets normalized normal. for yeah. this Latina girl. She's like, oh, that lady is a mountain guide and she looks just like me or, you know, oh, that guy's a surfer. You know, this, um, yeah, so, you know, my friend Malik went on um, last year and this little black boy was like, oh my gosh, I love his hair. It looks just like my dad's. And, you know, <laughs> It's just to see the connections that are far deeper than just like, hey, love the outside. Like there's an outside world. It's yours to explore. Like doors are being pushed open for you. But just even to like see yourself where I didn't have that representation as a kid. Like I I was in my 30s before I saw a professional climber with one hand succeeding at ice, succeeding at rock, where I was like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I can, I can do this. Um <laughs> So to be like, they're five and they're seeing what I didn't get to see for my own needs at 30. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, let's let me keep that a part of, you know, my educational experience that I get to give, like how, you know, how impactful, like I hope and I pray that that's impactful to them. Well, this know? is clearly some, you're combining your two greatest passions Yeah, doing this. And I know this is something that you talk about as even a bigger goal for you sort of a lifetime yeah. goal is being able to do more with kids and share more and teach more and introduce them into mm -hmm. the outdoors in a greater way. And uh, I want, I want to talk about that a little bit more later. Yeah. Um, can we just talk for a second about how you, how you got into mountaineering and climbing? I know you took the basic course at the mountaineers in 2016 right, right? so mm -hmm. you were a mountaineer at the mountaineer program um how did you how did it how did you get to the mountaineers the group and were you hiking and you knew somebody came across somebody or how did yeah, that all no, start for I you actually... why did you pull that trigger to <laughs> I know you take training and safety very seriously. Yes, so absolutely. that's probably just naturally part of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had grown up fishing and hunting and, and gardening, farming and, you know, hiking or climbing like that just wasn't on my radar that, you know, that's not what our family focused on. And so I moved to Kansas city in my mid twenties and taught there and finished my master's. Oh, really? I did not. Yeah. Know yeah. That's where yeah. I'm, I'm Kansas from. city. Oh, yeah. Born and raised. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I lived in Grandview, Missouri. So right on the state line. I uh, That's funny. I went to kin kindergarten in Grandview. Yeah. <laughs> At Butcher Green Elementary School. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I did a lot of subbing out there while I worked on my master's. And it was just that time in my life to leave rainy Washington and be like, oh, it's so drizzly. I just want to be warmer. And I had friends <laughs> in Kansas City. And so I just found myself for four and a half, five years there. And then, you know, enough tornado seasons went by where I was like, this is not where I see myself. The rain sounds pretty nice right about now. And so while I, you know, him and haw on, on days like this, where it's drizzle and overcast. I remember in my mid twenties when I was like, wow, that sounds so much nicer than a wall of baseball size hail coming towards my car while I'm, you know, in the basement with a bunch of students hiding from, you know, this impending tornado. And yeah, so grass is always greener. <laughs> on the other side. And um, I came back here and I started to, you know, teach again and, you know, work on my national board certification and had a, a relationship, a, a boyfriend. And you know, the first time being in love, I kind of 
pushed back on, you know, that area of my life for the, as long as I could, cause I just was so fulfilled and so happy with teaching and, you know, running marathons in Kansas city was kind of like, you know, what, what I did or what'd you do? And, and then living back here and, and a friend and I had a phone call on the same night we had both, you know, just been broken up with, um, our, you know, they're great men doing great things, but, you know, almost 10 years ago, like weren't the healthiest of partners. And so in our heartbreak, she was like, I can't believe how ironic same day that we are now single women. And she's like, you know, I've heard of this course. Do you want to just like take the heartache and just go climb like Mount Rainier? And I was like, I've been (laughs) on a hike. Like you and I hiked the enchantments like in the summer. That was kind of crazy. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll go buy a backpack and 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 helmet I don't know what I need and so I just on a whim we were like let's throw kind of our broken hearts into this program and and see what becomes of it wow yeah fast forward so no no you weren't hiking you didn't have any gear any of that you just jumped into the mountaineers program started training so you could climb Rainier yeah it was like you know uh yeah I have a teacher schedule I kind of have the time in the in the summer and and the weekends to train and why not? And so I went very, very grateful for, you know, my friend Hannah, she was like, let's, let's do this. And that summer after, you know, you go through kind of the winter spring, going through the training and the lectures yep. and the field trips. And, you know, there was a nine day span, you know, right when I got out from summer where, you know, I climbed the tooth, my first multi-pitch rock and I climbed Mount Olympus. And then I climbed Mount Rainier in a nine, in a nine day span. That's pretty impressive. And was like, you know, (laughs) your first three climbs. (laughs) I know. Yeah. My first three back to back to back. And I was like, Hey, I actually like this and, and maybe I'm good at it because I'm not dead at the end of climb number three in, in this week, you know, energy wise. And, uh, you know, it wasn't scary. And so it just became this, I had no idea. I would love it and be successful at it. And and walking in on that first day, you know, back in the day, everything's so digital now, you know, but they would give you kind of your, you know, binder of lecture notes and your Bible, you know, the foothills, um, you know, Freedom of the Hills book, you know, the Bible of mountaineering. And I sat down and and the course, you know, leader at the time, Scott Sichel, you know, he's a retired, you know, army vet and also had, you know, his leg, um, you know, some shrapnel wounds. And he was like, you know, we've never had a disabled um, person with your specific disability in this course. And so the committee's a little uncertain whether we should let you in. And that I was like, oh, wait, well, what? Oh, wow. Um, oh, so shoot. That, I guess it'd be hard to hear that. It was a little surprising because I just didn't really understand the concepts of like why that would be an issue. And you know, with, in hindsight, you know, belaying, repelling, you know, climbing points of contact, like, oh, okay, that's, that's a legitimate concern, but, but he, I'm sure you responded with, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> well, you know, he himself responded with, you're going to prove them wrong. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Scott came at me, not with his deficit mindset, not, you know, can you do this? But like, how, how you do it? And he's like, you're going to figure out how you can do it. And you're going to show people on your test. You don't get a free pass, Missy. So take your books and sit down because I'm advocating for you. And I believe in you. And that was such a monumental part of, you know, my story and starting out because I found out, okay, they're worried. I mean, I'm not, again, kindergarten teacher, I'm not offended. They're worried. I do want to make sure I can help them process that and see that I am safe because your life is tied to another life on a rope. I take that seriously. I'm like, don't give me a free pass because you don't want to hurt my feelings or or offend me, like respect me and believe in me. But at the same time, like I'm going through this, you know, with like some emotional intelligence, like, yeah, it's, it's important to care about my partner's life. And yeah. You, you know, pretty being, quickly went from there to uh, just kept climbing, went to the intermediate course. Yeah. Right? Oh, that, yeah. That was like, oh, I'm great at this. Let's keep, let's go. You know, obviously, I'm passing everything. I'm finding ways to, you know, belay and repel everything that, you know, works for me and is modified here and there, where I was like, oh, that's fine. And then at the same time, through, you know, 
I would say maybe the, you know, the more positive side of social media, I'm meeting adaptive athletes of all different, you know, ski mountaineering to, you know, rock climbing and, Mm -hmm. and seeing that and connecting that and going to, you know, places where I'm meeting them in person and I'm belaying with them and realizing like, oh yeah, there are multiple ways, you know, to tie a shoe. It's, you know, what works best for you. And so, you know, with that mindset, I just went straight into intermediate, but then that's what drove you to find the need for the prosthetic, right? Yeah. You, you you really, you you realize (laughs) I'm not going to be able to do this without a a little bit more help and I can't just adapt and modify. I met, I remember, uh, you know, the process took like a year and the -hmm. doctor donated most of his time or all of his time to being able to do that our surgeon and help you develop that. Yeah. He he was really pivotal. I remember hearing you say something that was interesting to me that you said when you had it, you felt very empowered, but also more disabled at the same time. Can you explain? Right. It's very hard to hide a (laughs) ice tool in your pocket like you can with your hand, right? Uh, Or on your pack. You know, it's kind of like you have the spotlight on you at all times. And, And I had to realize like, you know, the, the average two-handed person, they need tools to climb ice. You know, you can't just do it with your hands like like rock. And and so, okay, they're adapting in a certain way. Like you can, you can have that mindset. And I'm like, my adaptation to climb ice is just a little bit more involved. And so I would try to, try to convince myself like, it's okay. Like this is, this is part of achieving, you know, what I feel passionate about and it's like this didn't exist for my specific hand and now it now it does and the beauty of that is you know Scott himself again you know the one who advocated for me at the very beginning was like you're doing it no excuses for you I believe was the same one that you know showed this grainy picture of Maureen Beck she's currently a North Face athlete you know amazing rock climber and you know she back in the day used a prosthetic on her a specific stump to ice climb. And, you know, nowadays has graduated, you know, into kind of a bigger trigger on her Petzl tool. You know, they've modified for her because, you know, it was harder for her to stay warm. And now she can keep a, a glove on her hand that, you know, comes up closer to her elbow than, than mine does since I have my entire forearm and that works for her. And, but the fact that I could see a picture, even, you know, not even her face, just a, from a distance, a girl yeah. in a wall, there's something black on her arm with a tool coming out of it. And I was like, well, that's all I need. It's possible. And going to this doctor, he, he had no idea what ice climbing was. He's like, I, I make things for the legs mostly. And, but you know what, show me a video of what ice climbing is, explain it to me. And I think we can be creative. And so I, you know, pulled up Will Gad, a Canadian, you know, ice climber, very famous, ice, ice very climber. famous ice climber. Yeah. He, he's just been awesome and supportive. You know, we actually were, um, bumping into each other in Chamonix this past summer and had a great conversation about my prosthetic. And I was like, Hey, you were, uh, you were the guy I pulled up to my doctor when I had to convince him that he could do this. And ice climbing wasn't crazy. Cause he was pretty sure it was crazy. Um, well, ironic that you talk about Maureen or Mo Beck mm-hmm. being uh, one of the influences on your climbing and she's a North Face professional climber. And now fast forward, you're part mm-hmm. of this incredible opportunity to join the North Face Athlete Development Program. That's a two-year yeah. two program, yep. right? Your program. Yeah. I was encouraged, you know, by her, by other people like, hey, apply. Like, you know, I know they got thousands of applications and accepted, you know, 17 people. And, you know, it's, it's been this full circle, deeply humbling moment. And, you know, people talk about, you know, um, feeling imposter syndrome or, you know, oh, (laughs) you know, the fact that like Mo, you know, my friend Vasu, so he's right, who, you know, skis um, with one leg and, and the fact that they have been there, you know, for longer than I have, they've been established. That piece of representation has really guarded my heart from the imposter syndrome because it's like, yeah, you know, we are able to also, you know, be at that professional level of our skills and our sports. You know, we're devoting yeah. the same amount of time. It's not a free pass. It is work. 
And how amazing is it that your mentor is Kit Delore? Oh. I mean, could you have a better female athlete, climber, skier right. to surround yourself with? For those who don't know, I mean, she was the, the first person, not first mm -hmm. female. She was the first person to ski off the seven summits. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she's... I, she's probably 54 or 53, 53 or 54 now. And she's still coming. Right. I mean, she's really still such... crushing it. Yeah. She, she's amazing. Um, I think she's in Sardinia right now at the North face, you know, athlete summit, just climbing and, and I'm just, you know, the last nine months with her and, you know, halfway into this program, you know, it, it's really been so wonderful because you get to glean from a person that just has decades of wisdom and, you know, she not having a disability, like I, you know, I, I told Mo at the beginning, like, I don't want you to be my mentor in this program because we're oh. already friends. And like, I want, you know, someone without a disability because it's, it's a stretch for them to be okay. Like, you know, it's good for, it's good how, for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so good for them. Right. And, you know, the connection that, you know, Kit and I've had and just, communicating and setting up, you know, okay, you know, every other week when we chat, like, here are the things I want to talk about expeditions, you know, how you're staying warm. Like, cause sometimes I really have to consider how to keep my stump warm with its poor circulation, you know, in a place like, you know, the Alaska range. And as I'm planning and gleaning experience to go deeper, you know, and farther in my mountaineering and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find goals really, and she had is such a wealth of knowledge and she's in the skiers hall of fame. She just carries with her so much confidence and determination with, you know, humility and, and grit and is, and just been accessible to me. And she's given of her time and, you know, I've been with her and her family and their, you know, home in Jackson hole and, and climbed with her. And I'm just so grateful for a program like this can, that can really, you know, show you what is life as a professional climber? Like what's the work that it takes to get there? You know, the fitness, you know, the, the nutrition, um, the, the training and that mindset. And it's, it's been such a journey to, to think where I started and how, you know, I just found myself in this world of climbing to pretty quickly. I mean, you've, it's mm -hmm. really about 10 years for that, your, you know, almost, it doesn't, almost for some people, the 10 years is a long, long, a long time, but for climbers to develop those skills and get those kinds of opportunities, 10 years is not a long time. No, not at all. And did you, so, were you, a, so you skied off quite a few summits yourself um, yeah, I'm, I'm currently in the Northwest. Kind of yeah, yeah. Was that uh, were you skiing before you met Kit, and was that a goal mm -hmm. for you, or did that just hyper accelerate <laughs> that goal by being around her? Right. Yeah. So I had started skiing, you know, probably about five or six years ago, and um, that ultimately was because you know, walking down a volcano and you do that season after season. <laughs> it's so, slow. It's so you know, it, it's, it's that. And, and you watch your, you watch your friends that do ski. Just oh yeah. Take and it I down in 15 minutes. I was like, all right, here we're at base camp. And you know what? I'll see you at the car in like <laughs> an extra two hours. We'll keep in touch on our, uh, Rocky talkies, you know? Uh, and yeah. And I just, you know, your feet take really a beating and, you know, some mountaineering boots, uh, you know, if you're not bringing approach shoes, you know, on climbs and, and man, I have been on some long approaches and, and I realized, you know, I love learning how to ski and, and the adaption portion of that was, you know, building kind of a, a system, a Velcro system with a pole and my mitt so I could, you know, take it on and off similar to, you know, what I did for a normal, you know, glacier ice axe, right. You know, there, I kind of have a industrial strength zip tied Velcro strap okay, on the right. top. So, you know, as I switch hands and traverse, you know, each direction on the mountain, my, you know, ice axe can always be, you know, hillside. And so I just kind of put that on my pole and I was like, well, you know, I have my pole and I'm figuring out how to do it. So kit has been really helpful when, you know, figuring out steeper ski terrain and, you know, how to use my pole, how to plant it, you know, even, you know, with my, you know, stump and, and making that work. And, 
And so, you know, yeah, ski mountaineering and climbing, you know, mountaineering, they've all kind of molded into one. And now some of my, you know, future expeditions that, you know, that are in, in the planning stages kind of encompass all, you know, the ice and the ski mountaineering. And so, you know, I have some lofty goals, you know, with being a disabled skier and, you know, going down the volcanoes and this past year, Baker and, you know, Helen's were the two, you know, that I could get into that, you know, short season we had, I feel before like things just heated and I did a lot of international climbing this year, but yeah. So those, those are kind of the current goals and with the mentors in my life right now, you know, it feels really attainable. How, how would you, we talked about it being good, good for Kit and, and interacting and engaging with an adaptive climber mm-hmm. and how that would impact her. How, how do you recommend people engage adaptive climbers or disabled hikers and climbers? What, right. What's the, some people are afraid to, that they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. They're right. afraid if they don't say anything at all, that they're being insensitive. What What's your recommendation Yeah, you how know, to, to I mean, best uh, tackle that? You know, there, there are various thoughts and approaches. And for myself, you know, I have noticed like that people just don't want to make a mistake. Their hearts are genuine but they're, they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And that in turn makes them ever so much more awkward in the, in the (laughs) conversations, you know, and, and I give a really practical tool, you know, my, um, buddy Scott Kranz and I were, you know, out climbing the season and he's doing this kind of 100 peaks, you know, the Bulger list and documenting it. And, And his goal has been, I want my partners to show the the diversity of human life experiencing mountaineering. And so he's like, you're you're the first disabled person I've climbed with. Like, you know, what do you want my, you know, thought process to be my interaction with you? Like just to school me on it. And I was like, the easiest thing is, you know, not, can you do that? But how, can you do that? You know, we kind of talked about this oh, I see. at the beginning and I was like, it's just like that. Like just ask, you know, Hey, how, how do you do that? Or, you know, if it looks like I need help with something, you know, I'll ask for help and, you know, just not be afraid to, you know, have me, you know, maybe need to correct you on, on a term and you know, I'm not going to do it from a place of like, Oh, gotcha. You know, you didn't know your adaptive 101 well enough um you know that's you're not being a good ally like you know i come with the heart of like until you prove otherwise you're in my corner yeah you know and that creates a safe space for people to just be who they are which are imperfect people trying to grow and i've been you know thankful like you know it's it's pretty easy to weed out who you know isn't you know, a healthy partner or a supportive partner in the mountains. But, you know, my thought is like, I want, as I want representation, as I want, you know, clinics at sport climbing events or, you know, ice climbing clinics, like I I want there to be, you know, courses for adaptive climbers or, you know, whatever, you know, kind of affiliation group, affinity group, because those entry points, like I would have felt way more confident as a climber if I could go, you know, take Mo's ice climbing course for, you know, adaptive athletes at the Bozeman Ice Fest. Like I've been there, I've been a part of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is mind blowing. Like there's nothing in me that thinks I can't do it because they're all trained in how to help me begin the process. Cause they've all been there or the people who don't have disabilities have been trained in, you know, being able to teach me, you know, okay, like this is how you could, you know, swing your tool, or this is how I could place a tool with a prosthetic and this and that. But beyond that, I'm like, okay, but now, you know, years later, as you want to progress as a climber, like, could I go sign up for, you know, a mixed ice course with Will Gad, you know, at, at that clinic? And will he know what to do with me? Like he won't, unless I go out there, I step foot into that realm and, and I'm believing, you know, all this work and representation and, you know, creating opportunity and opening those doors, you know, for people that, you know, come, come after you as you, you know, you, I, you go through sports, like what an opportunity to be able to, you know, 
make sure everyone is truly included, whether or not you have a disability. Like, I want you included in my world because I want you to trust that I have you on belay. I will catch you if you fall. You know, just like I have to, you know, earn, you have to earn my trust in that way. Like, absolutely. Can yeah. you catch when I fall? Like, everyone is at risk at dropping anyone. It doesn't matter, you know, what your hands look like. I've seen way more people with two hands drop people, you know, <laughs> um, actually. And, and so it's just like, I, I want to make, I want to make that a reality for me and in a reality as decades go by and more and more people with, you know, limb differences or disabilities get into these sports. Like, can we progress or do we have to stay together to progress? Like I, I I want both. I want us to be able to, you know, take more advanced courses together, but I, I want to be able to, if I want to go and take a more advanced course, you know, with the instructors who don't have disabilities, because it's like, it teaches them, like it gets them comfortable. It gets them the language and the mechanics of it. Like that's so important because, you know, I, like, I truly think people want to be inclusive Right. And it's just going to be the same with my kindergartners. It's going to be exposure. Yeah. And that's yeah. that it's human nature. You know, you become more inclusive to other people and other thoughts and other cultures. Like the more you're exposed, the more you surround to it. yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's exposure therapy. Like that's what it is. And so I heard you make a, I heard you make a statement or maybe I read it where you said um, you always want to push the boundaries of athleticism to achieve your dreams as an alpinist, um, a woman and a human with a disability. Mm -hmm. Those are all three interconnected for you, right? You can't yeah. really separate those in your mind. And one's not more important than their other. That's, that's who you are. Those three things. Right. Yeah. They're, they're very big, you know, aspects of my identity and, and who I am. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, would I want to rise beyond, you know, the, the physical identities I have, you know, is those kind of internal characteristics, like, you know, discipline, like I, I value, like, I want to be disciplined and I want to be teachable and I want, you know, to be gracious and kind and, you know, to, towards myself and, you know, towards others. And, and so, you know, I really found like what it takes to, you know, push towards the professional level of athleticism and, you know, and um, it, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of teachability and, you know, even being a woman and even being, you know, disabled, like there's boundaries and there's, you know, doors that have been closed and they're starting to crack open here and there. And there's, you know, stereotypes that you're kind of breaking down with that. And, you know, I mean, I know they still exist because my kindergartners will come in and, and I've had a a little boy, you know, a couple of years ago, say like, girls don't climb mountains. <laughs> oh, yes, they and, do. And I was like, well, <laughs> well, like, look at this picture. Like, that's your teacher on top of Tahoma, on top of Mount Rainier. And, you know, of course, his response was, you're a girl. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, <laughs> like, yes, I am a a woman, which also means, you know, I'm a girl. Yes, yes, yes. Girls can climb mountains. And, but for him, like he's five and he's in this new generation. Like, shouldn't he, you know, be past stereotypes? Like, yeah. no, you, like you're still there. Very good right. Point. Last year, you know, a kid was, you know, he was mentioning, you know, what his dad does. And I was like, oh yeah. You know, teacher sore today. I was lifting weights and he was like, girls don't lift weights. My dad lifts weights. And he was like blown out of things. Like you wouldn't lift weights. Like you're not a guy. Like guys, guys only do that. You know, and in his background, his, you know, experience has probably just been seeing his dad at the gym or seeing his dad in his garage. And so he doesn't have the exposure of, you know, women lifting weights. And, you know, I just had to like kind of pull up my sleeve and do a little flex. Ah, there like, you go. <laughs> he was like, oh, what car he literally said like, do work out and i'm like yes yes we do so um, you you have a quote where you say if you don't give up you win if you don't quit or yeah if you, you don't win. quit you, you don't win quit, so you win. what other pieces of kimber cross advice do you have for people starting out in mountaineering and may it may be specifically for a, a someone who's disabled maybe for someone who's a, a woman and feels mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. is not 
girls aren't supposed to be in the mountains and girls don't. Yeah. I mean that, you know, we talked about Instagram and the representation and we're seeing it more and more in, in society and, you know, how we, how we value, you know, the storylines in film or print, you know, or just who companies are sponsoring. You're seeing a huge shift, you know, there's, you know, it's two sides of the same coin on one side, you know, companies are realizing like, oh, there's a whole nother market we get to tap into. And on the other side is, yeah, no inclusion, like showing the real, the reality of what human life is like and how diverse that is. Like, yeah, that has to absolutely be a part of what we see visually. We're such visual learners and it's all about that exposure. And and I want that more and more and more because I want to see, you know, my litmus test is Am I going to get any kids coming in doubting themselves, female or male, you know, or are they going to doubt who they are with whatever identity they have? Do they carry mm-hmm. doubt for themselves? Do they carry doubt for other people that are different than them? As that fades, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, words getting out, you know, girls can do things to speak to see <laughs> people can do things, you know, pick your identity, you can do things. And so, you know, I, I really think that scaffolding for oneself, like knowing like zero to 60, like that doesn't have to be the goal, you know, every day, like the discipline over motivation, you know, and if you really want something, there's communities. Like I have found like what, what got me in to the Mountaineers was someone who believed in me, a community, what kept me in the Mountaineers community, what got me to this place, you know, with North Face, people believing in me, you know, that was huge. And then the the scaffolding of, I'm going to put in the time, I'm going to, you know, put in the physical training, the mental training, you know, learning those soft skills learning those hard skills. And, and it really, it changed who I was as a person. It's not just doing cool stuff. It's like my character grew, you know, you get to know people on a trail, you know, when you're, 1 a.m. Alpine start getting out of your tents, putting on the crampons, roping up. You know, you get to know someone when there's, you know, fear in your heart, you know, as you're climbing a hard ice route and and the conversations flow and they go. And I'm like, I have learned so much about different walks of life and people I've climbed with people from literally all over the world. Like what a powerful transformation in, in my heart as a human, as a human that is I think grown in her love for people who don't look like her and don't live like her. Like that is such a special part of mountaineering and hiking and, you know, just life outside life in an activity where you're around people that yeah, are. That community are can be very could, yeah. unique for, for sure. We, I talked about this quite a bit on other podcasts, for sure. The camaraderie that's built in those moments of doubt right. and, pain and even if, even if you created it sometimes suffering yeah <laughs> um, yeah, yeah right. you, you you learn a, a lot about yourself obviously but you learn a lot about the people around you and you yeah. learn things and hear things that you probably would never hear in some other environment so right. Kimber, wow man it's been really inspirational to talk to you i i loved it um, Thank I'm you. Sure yeah, I think you know more people than get like- a chance to hear you and see <laughs> you. They're they're going to want to know how do I follow her and where where do I keep up with her? What yeah, so what's if, the best place? Your Instagram is one place. For sure. Yeah, if you want to keep up with me, you know I love the term you know inspiring, but you know from my heart, I'm like I want to be provoking. I provoking. think that has more of an action on the other person. Like if you're provoked to something, like you know, that, that just goes deeper, I feel like. And so if you want to be provoked by you know, <laughs> my, my ice climbing or gosh, sometimes, you know, my kindergarten quotes of the day. Oh, they're the best. I love I've them. had people <laughs> say, I came from the mountains. I stayed for the quotes. <laughs> um, and mostly those are just for, you know, my mom and as enjoyment, but you know, I get a kick out of that. You know, other people find humor in, you know, the, the cute, hilariously, sometimes awkward things my kindergartners say to me. Um, yeah. If you want to do that on Instagram, you know, Kimber Bell, my middle name, B-E-L-L-E. And um, I'm dabbling in the TikTok, but I am an elder millennial. So you know, <laughs> same handle and, uh, you know, uh, and, and your, your website also, you, yeah. you put uh, a com, And, you know, that's a great place to kind of see the you know, companies supporting me, the organizations that I'm working for and, 
um, you know, opportunities to support kids and in the mountains, kids in the classroom, you know, and um, there's places and companies that, you know, have really helped me, you know, bridge the gap between their needs and, and how we can support. So yeah, those are places to find me and say hi. Okay, great. Kimber, thank you again for those listening in. Thank you. Or if you're watching us on the the YouTube uh, video podcast, thanks. If you liked it, I'm sure you did. Make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit that little uh, notification bell so that you always get updated when we upload a new video. Um, We are on Spotify. We're on Apple. I'm trying to find some ways to push these podcasts to some other locations as well. We do have an Instagram page and Facebook group. That's a place, as Kimber said, community is so important. It's a great place for you to meet others that uh, like to be on top of mountains. And uh, thank you again for listening and hope to see you at the top.